This is Sound Heights Records Podcast, Session 15. And the song lyric of the day is by Rogers and Hart. Love does not stand sharing, not if one cares. Have you been comparing my every kiss with theirs? If, on the other hand, I'm faithful to you, it's not through a sense of duty. You are too beautiful, and I'm a fool for beauty. Welcome to the Sound Heights Records Podcast. Harmonizing life and music, growing as an artist, improving as a person, gaining insight and inspiration conversations with world-class musicians. Welcome to Sound Heights Records. This is Yisrael Aryeh. I first heard about today's guest, Dan Tepfer, when I was in the midst of one of my many bouts of Bach mania. So coming to piano, piano playing later in life um, and ha- having studied uh, some classical when I was in college, and but mostly uh, jazz and improvisation, and coming from a kind of New Orleans funk and general rock and roll world, I was feeling this dual sense of being totally intrigued and inspired by the music of uh, J.S. Bach and wanting to find a way into it and wanting to play it and at the same time feeling completely unqualified to do so. I sensed a connection between music of Bach and classical music in general and a more improvisational approach to music, though I guess I kind of felt a, a certain intimidation or inadequacy at my abilities to meaningfully express and learn this music. And I was just one day doing a search, Bach and jazz, I'm looking for some of those connections and maybe some inspiration in my in my ongoing quest to try to find some kind of unified field theory between uh, the music that I've known and, and felt more comfortable with, kind of a, an improvisational um, rock and roll music, and class this classical music, which seems like such a pantheon of perfection that you, if you were to play a piece that had to be perfect and other than that it was this very rigid tradition and most of the players were not composers and they were interpreters. So in this search I, I found this amazing article by our guest Dan Tepfer, the first time I heard of him. And in the article he talked about his journey and this kind of irrational drive and excitement for the music of J.S. Bach that he had grown up with learning some of it, but he was he had achieved uh, a great degree of success as a jazz pianist and now was revisiting some of the Bach that he had learned and, and actually going much deeper into it, uh, getting to the point of where he was uh, performing it and combining it with an improvisational approach. 
which unlike someone like, uh, let's say, Jacques Lusset, who is a jazz pianist who interprets Bach in a jazz way, what Dan Tepfer was, was doing is playing Bach in its kind of original form and then responding to it with improvisational pieces. And he wrote about it in this, in this article about this process of how he came to this, this project which obviously took took many years, and he discussed some of his insecurities and struggles with standing up to this music and, and performing it and practicing it and becoming uh, proficient at it, knowing that they were musicians who had focused their entire student and professional careers specifically on interpreting this music. I found the art- article really encouraging and his music really intriguing, and uh, I listened to his album, which was uh, Goldberg Variations, Variations. So two two times variations because he plays the thirty two Goldberg variations, and then on each variation, he plays his own improvisation variation. And I purchased the album, and I was listening to it, and I'm looking up where I can go see him perform this. Uh, ageless masterpiece with the boldness of adding his own responsive stamp. So the closest concert I could find of him performing (laughs) was in Hudson, New York. It happened to be on Valentine's Day, and it coincided with the first anniversary of my uh, marriage. My wife, uh, being ever patient and and supportive, kind of liked the idea of structuring our whole first anniversary getaway around this concert. And so I, we took a bed and breakfast up in Hudson, and I took my uh, Glenn Gould collection with me. And uh, we had an amazing time this, on this trip. I mean, it happened to be snowing really hard that night, and we, we made it to the concert. It was, it was just incredible. And uh, I introduced myself, and I asked him if he taught, and he said, yeah, he does. And so that started a really amazing adventure of, of getting to know Dan um, as a student of his. And we mostly focused on Bach. We did um, some other, a lot of other stuff as well. Um, we did some, some counterpoint, some composing. It was really, really incredible. Um, and it kind of culminated in a, in a herky-jerky performance by me. Um, thank God it was snowing on that night very heavily, so I didn't have much of an, an audience to witness that kind of my first attempt trying to make it through all 15 Bach two-part inventions. It was a big milestone for me, and I owe a lot to Dan for so generously sharing his depth of knowledge and how he approaches music. And I came away from those years of lessons and also from this interview even more so because we actually got even deeper to kind of his practice routine that I ever had as his student, I came away with a sense that here was a real musician. I mean, someone who had really dedicated their life to music. And he has such a broad range as a musician and other skills like computer programming skills and knowledge of uh, astrophysics 
and probably a dozen other things I don't even know about. And somehow he works them all into his musical gumbo. So he has, you know, the classical thing that he does. He composes orchestral pieces. He's had a long-running musical association with jazz legend Lee Konitz. He's been an in-demand sideman for a variety of projects and also composes for and plays with his own trio. Then, if that's not enough, he's been involved with a groundbreaking series of projects that involve computer programming and the Yamaha Disclavier piano, which is kind of a modern, cutting-edge player piano that uses dig- digital technology, let's say, to play itself. With If you could put a program in, you can play a performance and it plays it back. But he's somehow figured out a way to program algorithms that when you play, let's say, a certain key, the piano responds in certain fixed patterns. And he's been developing this for years. I remember... When I was uh, studying with him, I was he was showing me some of what he was working on. And it's kind of come to a culmination, though I'm sure he's continuing to develop this concept with this series of videos he released and an album that he's releasing April 16th. So if you're listening to this podcast within the first week of its release, which is April 9th, then hopefully you'll be able to make it down if you're in town in Brooklyn at a place called National Sawdust, and I'll put all the info in the show notes. I highly, highly, highly recommend checking out the series of videos, which he already released this past October, of Natural Machines, where not in addition to having a computer-generated response on an acoustic piano to his playing and creating these improvisations with this structure... He has real-time visualizations that are happening, and he has this uh, video presentation, which really, it's just mind-blowing, really worth checking out on YouTube, and I'll I'll put a link to that. And I'm sure his live performance will have a lot of that as well. Um, I saw him once at Le Poisson Rouge, where he, he, with the beginning of that, where he had these kind of visual tree fractals. That's one of the, uh, or at least it's related to one of the pieces in... Uh, natural machines. I've heard that he's been experimenting with some virtual reality live improvisational music experience. So hopefully we'll get some of that at National Sawdust on the 16th. But I'm really looking forward to it. And um, I'm sure it's going to be an amazing event. Before we get to the interview, I just want to say a big thank you to our Patreon supporters for making this podcast available and free of charge. Please consider joining us at soundheightsrecords.com or patreon.com slash soundheightsrecords. Also, stay tuned after the interview for a full rendition of one of the pieces from Natural Machines called Triad Sculpture. It's one of my favorites, though I'm really blown away by all of it. So here it is, our interview with Dan Tepfer. Thank you. 
my pleasure. So, and uh, I mean, it's nice to be back. It's been like two years since I was here. It feels like about two years. Yeah, it does feel like a while. I'm not sure exactly yeah. how long. And uh, I was coming here for, for lessons, which was an incredible experience. Um, well, like, I, re I really enjoyed that too. What, so you, I, mean, I gather you don't teach that that much. Yeah, it's not really a priority for me, but it is something that I really enjoy. So what I try to do is that when people ask me for lessons, I, I really try to make the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, it might not be like the most regular thing because I'm touring and all that. But I, I really appreciate the people who gave me lessons when I was when I was growing up and and uh, just really feel like if somebody asks, I should do it, you know. Um, and it was really fun working with you on the on Bach and on Counterpoint. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I obviously barely touched the, <laughs> scratched the surface of, especially some of that Counterpoint stuff, but um, I, I, you were at that point, you were going, you were taking lessons yourself. I mean, you were studying with, are you, do you still regularly study? I, so I was taking lessons at that point with Paul Caputo, who's a, who used to teach at the Manhattan School and, and who's a, just a fantastic teacher of harmony and counterpoint. And uh, I don't take lessons anymore just because uh, I, I got through the course. And then for me, the priority became uh, how to apply that stuff to improvisation. And so I've really been working hard on that for the last um, three or four years, uh, just in my, as part of my practice routine, like being able to quickly visualize harmony and in, in, um, like tonal harmony, the tonal relationships between things um, in all keys and being able to modulate elegantly and uh, the things that you that you do in, in harmony uh, when you're with a pen and paper, but trying to be able to execute that in real time. So that's, I mean, I'd love to get more into that because I, I know there's a lot of overlap with the stuff you do with computers and visualizations and other kind of um, performing and improvisations and collaborations. But I, I want, if you don't mind, I want to start whatever time we have just to, at the beginning. Sure. If you could start your, your, you know, go back to your first musical memory or inspiration that, that kind of you felt like start started things off for you on that on that path. It's a little hard for me to say. I think I think um, you know my my earliest musical memory blends a little bit with just what I know of how I grew up. So you know my mom is an opera singer and she she sang in the Paris Paris Opera Chorus. So I was literally. Uh, Growing as a fetus, uh, in her in her womb, uh, as she was singing her lungs out in the in the opera, uh, you know, surrounded by a hundred other people singing their lungs out. Um, so I, yeah, I can't say that I remember that, but I I'm sure that it has had a big influence on on who I am uh, as a person. My grandfather was a jazz pianist on the West Coast, so. I have clear memories um, as a kid of hearing him improvise and being very inspired by that. Um, but maybe my, <laughs> it's funny to say, but I remember actually visiting my grandparents in, in Eugene, Oregon and um, seeing the, seeing great balls of fire on the, on the TV. Dennis Quaid? I guess so. It's the, you know, the, the doc, the doc film about Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah. And and seeing him, seeing Jerry Lee Lewis play the piano that way, like the boogie woogie kind of rock and roll boogie woogie thing he 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 did, um, 
just was like a total light bulb went off in my in my head at that point and I immediately ran to the piano and, and was able to do it you know because it's pretty simple stuff really um, and uh, I think yeah I've been I've been hooked on doing something you know besides classical music on the piano ever since when you when you so that was before you even actually started formally studying that was I mean, you were that was a like uh, it was probably around the same time I, I started formal piano studies when I was six so it, it was you know, shortly thereafter. So do you remember, was that something that was something you chose or, or you were kind of led to if you with your musical parents? Uh, studying piano at all? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, it was, kind of, I think, a combination. Uh, there, was, there was a piano in the house and uh, from a very young age, I was always noodling around on it and uh, playing little melodies and things. So I think it came naturally for, for my parents to, to find me a teacher. So I know, I know you've spoken about in the past the, the idea of um, kind of two parallel musical lives at, at the point you were studying in conservatory, that you had the, the requirements of, which, uh, of the classical study, which obviously you later came back to really embrace. But at the same time, you were working on music that maybe, if I remember this correctly, you correct me if I'm wrong, was a little closer to your heart at that point, I meaning you were improvising and things that you were working on, or, not or that's, that's not necessarily accurate for it when you were from when, back then. I mean, I, I've always been a very stubborn person. Uh, I really always have disliked for people to tell me what to do. Uh, so I think the way I grew up was that I, I was going to the conservatory from, from a young age and, and studying the classical repertoire, like in particular Bach and Chopin and you know, all the classics. Um, and it's not that I disliked it at all. I, I love that music and I, I enjoyed playing it a lot. Uh, what always felt a bit like a chore to me was learning it and, <laughs> and, and practicing it. And I would, I would practice it um, eventually um, because, I mean, I, I'm really grateful that the conservatory system in, in France is competitive. Like they have uh, exams at the end of the year because for somebody like me who's kind of competitive but also like... Um, stubborn uh you know those were really the the times in the year when i when i practiced my ass off to get that stuff together um but concurrently with that i i was uh you know f from a very young age also just like around six years old uh, i would sit at the piano and just make stuff up um and that really felt like the core of my identity that felt like the real who i was you know <laughs> yeah Okay, so right, so Matt, that that clarifies a little bit that it wasn't so much the music that didn't inspire you at that point, the structured music. It was more the structured the uh, expectations from other people. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. No, I, I love the music. I love the Bach. I and I you know I listened to recordings of the classical music. And you know, since my mom was an opera singer, I, I would go to the opera a lot. I, I love that stuff. It's it's not that I disliked it. Um, I also, I grew up without a TV, mm -hmm. so I, I didn't really have like the cultural um, context to say, oh, this music isn't cool. Mm -hmm. that, that didn't really occur to me, to be honest. <laughs> Did you have a division in your mind between, I mean, obviously there are technical divisions, but I'm saying between the classical music you're studying and free form or, or jazz music you're working on? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it's just so different, different in, a, in approach. And I mean, I think maybe the biggest division in my mind was simply that uh, classical music was something that 
adults were telling me to do, and the jazz was something that no one was telling me to do. I was just doing for fun on my own, mm -hmm. and that that was a great feeling, very expressive and creative. I mean, it's kind of rare. I mean, for I mean, there are I mean, among jazz musicians, um, maybe it's more common. I don't know, but but among classical mus musicians, for someone to actually be really accomplished in both seems pretty pretty rare. I mean. Uh, it is rare, but I, I wouldn't say I'm that accomplished as a, as a classical musician. I mean, I, I have this kind of narrow um, area that I, that I spent a lot of time with, which is playing Bach, you know, playing the Goldberg Variations. And I was just telling you two days ago, I, I, I did the Bach concertos for two, three, and four keyboards with uh, Simono, Simono Dinerstein, who's this absolutely wonderful um, classical pianist, especially that she, she has a specialty in Bach. Uh, and Awadajan Pratt and Philip Lasser, who um, who's a, teaches composition at Juilliard. Um, so, and, and I've also, I, I've, the last couple of years, I've been doing a program with a Catalonian um, dancer, a contemporary dancer named Maria Munoz, uh, where I play pieces from the Well-Tempered Clavier. Uh, but aside from that, th this very narrow, like, specialization in, in Bach on the classical side, um, I wouldn't say that I'm a legit classical pianist. You know, I mean, yeah. the, the the people who who really do that, they're able. They, they have specific skills. Like, for example, they're able to learn um, a concerto in like a week. You know, mm -hmm. like they, they can learn music very quickly, uh, and they have a huge repertoire under under their belt, mm -hmm. which is not something I have. I, I would say, you know, the, the only real professional competence I have is is as a jazz pianist. Mm -hmm. That's you know where I consider that I. That I kind of know what's going on, <laughs> but still, you perform. I mean, you perform Bach with, with you know Simone Dinerstein. I mean, she obviously, just the fact that you have that association, the performing association. I mean, in my at least in where I'm sitting, I can understand what you're saying. That looking at the world of a classical pianist, it's a completely different um, set of expertise, and you maybe it's kind of snuck in the back door. I guess there there are certain improvising musicians, I think of like, let's say, Chris Thiele in his Bach album, kind of snuck in the back door of like classical performance just because of their love of it, as opposed to being groomed and developing a career in that classical trajectory. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think Chris is a good comparison. Uh, or, or Keith Jarrett, you know, I mean, he's he's somebody who spent a lot of time with classical stuff. I mean, he recorded the, the Well-Tempered Clavier, the Goldberg Variations on harpsichord. He recorded the the Shostakovich preludes and fugues um, and other things, um, but at the end of the day, you know, no one thinks of him as like a, as one, you know, as a great classical pianist. He's a great improviser, you know, and he also has done classical music. But I guess my point is that, like anything else in life, it's, it's impossible to be actually great at two things at once, you know. <laughs> so then, we, but so you're. I mean, but so then the, I guess what it seems like that, because looking at everything you do, which is this huge range of, it seems like maybe maybe there's a secret to it that from the outside it's not as apparent because it, what you're saying that you're coming from kind of a more singular place, like this is what you do and maybe it just expresses itself in a number of different areas as opposed to you've, you've worked on this one and then you've worked on this one and you've worked on this one, which seems mind-bogglingly impossible to, you know, whether it's, you know, the computer programming, dimension, the, the, you know, computer music dimension, the, um, you know, jazz improvisation and jazz uh, performance and collaborations and, you know, writing and then, you know, learning um, 
you know, it seems to be, you know, at least the Bach that you perform to a very um, amazing level, you know. But then to, t to I guess that there's something, so you feel like there's like the core of what, what you do and you just extend it to different areas? Yeah, that, that's exactly how I think of it, actually. I, I think of it kind of like a tree with branches. And um, <clears throat> I think of um, I think of the tree as, as having three directions it looks. So, so uh, there's looking towards the past. Um, and I think of studying Bach, studying harmony and counterpoint, um, but also playing standards with people like Lee Konitz, um, or even with somebody like Cecile McLaurin Salvant, um, or with Renee Fleming playing this standard repertoire. Uh, I think of that as looking towards the past because every time I check out this music, be it Bach or Gershwin or um, Cole Porter, um, I'm really learning from how the masters did it. And uh, I find that incredibly enri enriching. I mean, obviously, you know, you have to stand on the shoulders of giants. Then, like this, the 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 tree would also be looking towards the present. And for me, that's um, like performing with my trio, with my jazz piano trio, um, uh, composing, you know, compo comp composing new pieces for us to play. Uh, you know, operating within the contemporary jazz world. Uh, and I would also put in this looking towards the present. I would put um, you know the, the the stuff that I've written that I've composed for the classical world. So I've written a piano concerto and I've written a, an orchestral suite. And um, a couple of years ago, I wrote a, a piano quintet, which which means piano plus string quartet um, that I've now performed three times. Uh, these are things that I I've, that that are kind of part of the contemporary classical world. Um, and then there's part of the tree that's looking towards the future. And that's um, where where all this um, algorithmic music comes in, where, where I'm combining the computer with the with the with the, with the piano, and um, and and you know, to, to me, this is genuine, genuinely uncharted territory, and that's what's exciting for me about it. It's, it's like the parameters of that work, of of the parameters within which that work is expressing itself, just haven't been defined yet, and um, so it's. It's just wide open. So, so in some ways, you could see the tree as as going from the most closed when you're looking towards the past towards the most open when you're looking towards the future. And the thing the thing that's important to me about all that is that it's all coming from the same place. I mean, the, the deeper I get into all of these areas, and the more I just feel like they're exactly the same. Mm. Um, and certainly, like you know, what I'm learning about Bach or or you know about how playing jazz standards uh, can be done. Uh, or about improvisation from playing with Lee Konitz all these years, um, I'm applying that directly to the Natural Machines program, mm. you know, where I'm improvising with algorithms in real time. It's like all those skills come to bear. And, and if I didn't have those skills, I think the Natural Machines program would just be kind of another novelty act, you mm -hmm. know. So does, does your time get split in that way too, you feel? Or it's not really conscious like that either, it's just you... It, yeah, it does definitely. Um, I mean, for example, when I have a Bach concert coming up, I really, you know, I have to block out time to to just practice that stuff because it's even for the top classical pianists, it, it's uh, it's really hard. It's, I used to think that it was just me, but I, I've now talked to a lot of you know the great classical pianists, and and 
it's terrifying for them too to play Bach. And so you just, you have to really put in the time and, and practice it every day a lot leading up to a concert. And so I have to do that obviously. And, and when you're doing that, you're not spending time on other stuff. Um, I find that the, the programming stuff for me tends to happen in very concentrated kind of obsessive spurts. And that's how it seems to fit in with the rest. And then, you know, through that all, I'm trying to keep up um, just like the competence of a jazz improviser, you know, still practicing scales and uh, practicing harmony and, and playing over standards, practicing time, you know, that's, that's just a never ending quest, mm -hmm. um, getting my time to be, to be uh, decent, respectable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, so, I mean, so basically it sounds like based on a lot of what you focus on is based on your inspiration or your schedule, you know, your gig schedule, um, depending on what you, I mean, if you, I guess if you have an open day, you don't have any particular classical gig coming right up or, or any other kind of, I mean, then that, that day is whatever you're feeling in the moment that you feel like, or if you're working on something for that past week or something, some kind of project, it just kind of flows or, or do you have some more, more structure and let's say next six months, I want to plan to accomplish work on this and then work on this and, you know. Yeah, I would say it's kind of a combination. I think when we were working together, I told you I have a practice diary. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's like a really important part of my existence. Um, it's something that I, you know, I, I try to, every time I sit down at the piano, I, I, I log what time it is and what I'm doing. And the nice thing about the practice diary is that it naturally leads to long-term projects. Hmm. So, for example, if I sit down today and I say, okay, I want to uh, be able to... Um, very, you know, in, immediately in real time, um, do like the, like a plagal secondary dominant of every diatonic chord in the minor mode of every key. Okay. So I'm going to say, yeah, that's really something I would like to be able to do. That seems important. I'm going to make a chart for myself of all that. And there's no way that I could do that in a day. I mean, like, mm -hmm. this is like going to be a long right. project, but I'll start with one key, you know, or maybe if it's really hard, I'll start with part of one key. I don't know, it, you know, it, some, some things I need to break down even more. But the point is, once I've set that chart down, then I'll just every time I practice, if I don't have, you know, a, a fire to put out, like, mm -hmm. like a Bach concerto to, 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 to immediately learn, um, then I'm going to go to that, that chart and just kind of uh, pick away at it. And I think the beauty of that is that a lot, you know, this has been studied uh, now uh, at the at the neurological level, but but like musicians have been aware of this for probably thousands of years. A lot of the work of learning music uh, occurs while you sleep. Hmm. So, by having kind of this long term vision for something you want to accomplish, um, you're really doing a lot of the work without any effort, huh. <laughs> which is pretty cool. I mean, you do have to put effort in. No, course, right. So I'm, I'm thinking because um, in taking your advice and having a practice diary, and it's something that I've kept up oh, on and off since then. But I guess maybe now I'm getting, maybe, maybe I should ask you more about how to apply it because I, so writing what you did that day down is one step. But it sounds like there's another step where you go back through the diary, not necessarily. How, so how are you using it as something for planning? Right. So the way I do it is, let's take a simple example. Like, um, let's say I want to practice the major scales in every key. Right? Mm -hmm. Just <clears throat> And let's say, just for the sake of argument, that I want to practice them inverted, which would mean that, like, 
as my right hand goes up, my left hand goes down. Mm -hmm. Okay, just as an example. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm make a little chart uh, that has all the keys at the top, and then um, below that, uh, it's just going to say you know major scales or whatever, and and underneath every key, there's a space for me to put like a tempo. Mm -hmm. So. I'll probably start with like C major. I'll start with the, the easiest one. Mm -hmm. Not that C major is the easiest always because having only white keys is a challenge too. But, but anyway, I'll start with one that, that is easy. Mm -hmm. And I'll just find a tempo that is comfortable for me there. You know, so, and then I'll write that down. I'll practice it. I'll have a certain idea in mind of how to practice it. Maybe there's a certain accenting um, um, scheme that I want to use. You know, but anyway, I'll, I'll do it until it's, it's nice. And then I'll write in the tempo that I that I've done, and then I'll move on to something else, and then I so so then I have this chart that mm -hmm. has empty boxes, right? That's separate from your practice journal. No, it's in my practice oh, it's in journal. Your yeah, and, and and so my my chart has empty boxes. Mm -hmm. So then the next day I I come to my to the piano for my for my daily practice, and um, and I might wonder, okay, what am I going to do to warm up today? Because of course there are other things after that, right? Like you can't just be practicing scales. Like you know, mm -hmm. I probably have some music to learn, or, or some music to compose, or uh, or uh, or maybe I'm working on, you know, being able to improvise over a certain standard or whatever. Um, so the next day I come to the piano and I, the first thing I ask myself is like, okay, what what should I start with? And I look at what I did the previous day, mm -hmm. and there's that chart with an empty box. So it's super easy. Okay, I'm gonna do D, D, mm -hmm. I'm gonna do D, D flat major today. Do that, put the tempo in, and you know I'll try to get to the same tempo that I had in the easy key. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's not, that's okay. I'm not going to kill myself. The important thing is to do it because again, mm -hmm. a lot of the work uh, happens while you sleep. But so so I'll, you know I'll write down the tempo where it felt like I could, I could get it without without compromising on sound or anything like that. Uh, and that's it. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. But but you know a lot of the projects I've done are are more complicated than that where it's like. It might be a harmonic project, like I was telling you, you know, about applying these ideas from, from classical tonal harmony mm -hmm. uh, to improvisation, and in particular to free improvisation. Um, you know, those are projects that, that, that might have a lot of empty boxes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how much of of that that work is a determined decision? I mean, it sounds like you you make a real commitment. It's, I mean. Where is the balance exactly between what you feel like doing on a given day and pushing yourself to do what you might? I mean, you know, doing scales might, I mean, maybe some days you find it fun. I can imagine it's not always, but I guess maybe because you're setting out a, ta a longer term task for yourself, it keeps you on whether you feel like it that day or not. I mean, I, find, I know for myself, like, th that becomes a real challenge to, to work on something consistently over a period of time is because after a certain period of time, it just isn't as much fun anymore. And yeah. pushing yourself becomes like, you know, scraping sand. Mm -hmm. um, how, I mean, so how do you keep it fresh when you're doing that kind of thing? Or is, is just the variety of it? Well, okay, so, so the, the three things that this makes me think of, I mean, these are really great questions. Um, the first is, I think it's interesting that you use the the, the metaphor of scraping sand, <laughs> because you know that's what monks do in a right. in a in a in a Zen temple, yeah. right? I was thinking uh, about sandpaper, but yeah, <laughs> I, I know you were, but yeah. but in fact, you know, raking sand, yeah, raking sand is at some level an extremely boring activity, right? right? And yet, the Zen monks 
are displaying every day that mm -hmm. even the most mundane activity, if done with true awareness, Mm. Uh, becomes a, a really profound and, and beautiful pursuit, right? And, and and really, it's not about what we're doing; it's about how we're doing it, right? Right, right. Um, so, in the case, so, so that's one thing that that made me think of. Um, the other thing that it made me think of is, I'm a firm believer that true creativity comes from boredom. Mm -hmm. So it's like a central <laughs> belief of mine. So a lot of the time, I think it's really important to work until you're bored, mm. because that's when you'll find every time you think of like, okay, this is really getting boring. Uh, how about if I did it this way? Mm -hmm. Literally, this is like the childlike instinct for creativity. Like, you know, children, they're, they're, they're playing on the floor or whatever. They don't allow themselves to be bored. Right. I mean, unless they have some dumb tablet or something, but like yeah. in, in, you know, in the pre-industrial, pre-technological age, a child never gets bored. They're always gonna find something to, to do it's true right and, yeah. and i mean you know you have six well, children well, i don't know, know my my uh my my two-year-old when he'll get to a point where the toilet is bored he'll just like tip, destroy it That's right <laughs> so so there's always something right yeah. so 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 for me with the practicing i mean say i'm doing these scales and it's just really it just seems boring it's not challenging anymore then i'll be like okay what happens if i you know uh do this particular rhythm with it i mean mm -hmm. often it takes very little a very small tweak mm -hmm. to um, to make it challenging again, and yeah. I mean anything that's challenging is not going to be boring, right? Right, but it, but in general, the motivation to even enter that process it comes from what what place? Well, okay. So the third thing that I was going to say mm -hmm. is that I think as artists, um, there's this really uh, there's this tough. You're in a tough situation because. Nobody's telling you what to do. Mm -hmm. You don't have a boss. Um, and also what you do for a living is kind of this ridiculous thing. You know, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, you're just like, you're, you're, you know, you're, you want to feel like you're contributing to society. You want to feel like your, your, uh, what your work, the work that you're doing matters in some small way. You want to mm -hmm. feel that way, right? But a lot of the time you're just at home alone uh, playing scales or whatever, and it's very mm. hard to keep a sense of like of the fact that maybe what you do does matter. Mm -hmm. And 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 this is something I've struggled with my whole life, and and I feel like there's um, kind of a minimum level of self-respect that needs to be maintained. And one of the ways that I've found that I can maintain that for myself to, to a certain extent is to make sure that I have kind of basic competency in certain areas. Mm -hmm. So like the basic elements of, of music, like like being able to play with good time, which is like a lifelong pursuit, being able to take care of voice leading and harmony, also a lifelong pursuit, um, being able to, 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 to make meaningful melodies in real time, mm -hmm. being able to play your instrument with a good sound in a relaxed way. Um, these are all things that like are just you know, universally, there's no arguing that these things are not important. I mean, they will be universally recognized by any listener. I, I, I'm absolutely convinced of that. You know, mm -hmm. the difference between a person who's delivering on those areas, those basic areas, and somebody who's not, this is something that like anyone will recognize the, the, regardless of style. So for me, you know, saying, um, 
I'm gonna do these scales, you know, every time I practice for the foreseeable future, or I'm gonna, you know, learn how to do this 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 uh, harmonic thing, um, or I'm gonna, you know, work on being able to improvise with a metronome at like an incredibly slow speed. Uh, these are literally things that I need to do for my self-respect. Hmm. It's like I literally feel like, damn, you know, if I can't do that. How can I even say I'm a musician? <laughs> have, have you ever have you had experiences where you felt you were like let's say on a bandstand or something? You felt the lack of that, and that drew you know you felt kind of <laughs> exposed or something. That you or or it's just you're you're anticipating what would happen if you didn't maintain those skills. Yeah, absolutely. No, I've been humiliated so many times. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's that's a. I think you have to be burned. You have to be. Like you, you, I guess I, I think in music and especially in improvised music, at some point you have to get a solid feeling for what the stakes are. Mm-hmm. That you know anything less than a performance at you know of a certain level is just like embarrassing. Really, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. at least that's how I feel. You know, Lee Konitz, he likes to talk about if you're making a recording or something. Mm-hmm. He just says, you know, tr- try to keep your dignity. So for me, like if I look at at a sports person, like a, an NBA player or something, or a, a tennis player, you know, they're practicing every day. They're pl- practicing these basic skills because there's no way they can keep their dignity if they can't, you know, shoot a, a three pointer with a certain reliable percentage, right? I mean, that's like it's embarrassing if they're not up to snuff in, in that in right. that respect, you know. Uh, and I just think it's the same for me as a as a musician, like I, I really, uh, this kind of defines my identity in certain in certain ways. That that you know, this is part of my my competency. Was there a certain point where you made that kind of decision, or or it's been kind of a process all along? From I think it's been a process all along. I you know when I was younger, I think there was a lot of um, of entitlement uh, mm-hmm. of like, well, I don't need to practice that. You know, that's for. <laughs> Less creative people, or something, you know, <laughs> arrogance, uh, and and certainly as I've gotten older, I, I've just gotten a lot more humility about just trying to trying to uh, deliver on the basics of music that you know, which are incredibly hard, just the basics. Yeah. So interesting. One thing that comes to mind when you talk about learning while you sleep. So it would seem like. So let's say you have a music that you're working on during the day, and then. You know, there's a subconscious element that's kind of growing as you're resting, as you're sleeping. So it would seem about the space in between that. I know this is, you know, the rampant, and I know in my home, you know, phone addiction or whatever, just zoning out with videos or something. So is that something that you would feel maybe gets in the way of that process? If if there if you have like let's say decompressed time, are you careful to keep that? Time more, let's say, meditative rather than uh, junk, you know, <laughs> yeah. junk attention, or, or is that not something you feel is that that major an issue for you? Or, I mean, or I you know, I others? I find this to be like one of the central challenges of of being, you know, of living in our time. I mean, obviously, a lot of people feel the same, um, and I wish I had an answer for you that that really, uh, you know, was was more. More victorious on on my part because I think like 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 everyone else I certainly uh, spend more, way more time uh, doing these things you know using the phone or or like you know watching videos on YouTube or something than I would like. Uh, but what I've what I've found 
you know, because as, as I was saying earlier, I don't have a boss, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and, and I've now, you know, I've been a freelance musician for now, uh, let's say I'm 37 now, and, and I got my master's uh, when I was uh, 23. So, uh, so I've really been a, a freelance musician completely uh, for the last 14 years. Uh, so it's, it's something I've been dealing with for a long time. And what I've found is that what works best for me is not to set hard and fast rules like, um, like uh, you know, you shan't use <laughs> your phone uh, or, or use the internet, you know, before like 2 p.m. each day or something, something like that, which are things I've, I've tried. Mm-hmm. But like invariably there's some reason why I actually have to use it that day. Right. Uh, and what works a lot better is to set minimums. So mm-hmm. what I try to do, um, what I've been trying to do for the last over a year, is just to have a four-hour period in every day where there's no uh, internet involved, mm. no technology involved. Well, there can be technology. Like I, I can use my phone as a metronome or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but but no no internet. Mm-hmm. That's really the, mm-hmm. the main thing. I, I find that what we do with technology outside of the internet is usually totally valid. Yeah. You know, it's usually something <laughs> something cool like programming or 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 making a track or or, you know, I've written some apps uh, for, for a phone, you know, like one's an ear training app and one's yeah. a, a... You released the ear training app? Is I it? just did, yeah, yeah, four days ago. Oh, great. Yeah, I have to it's called Ear Guru. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you have an iPhone? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, I'd love for you to no, check it out. I have your other app, your double time yeah. app, and I remember you were talking about that. My, my teacher in Boston uh, was, was, a, was a really great man. Um, this was, you were going to school in Boston? Mm-hmm. This was when I was at the New England Conservatory for okay. my master's, and I studied with Charlie Benakis, who's one of the great, um, one of the great teachers of, of great pedagogues of jazz, and I taught a lot of great people, and, uh, and it was very inspiring working with him, worked for him, worked with him for a year and a half, and I've never worked harder in my life, you mm-hmm. know, very inspiring. And, um, and he had this ear training exercise that, is now pretty well known. Uh, it's very simple. I mean, he would play a cadence in C major so that if you don't have perfect pitch, you could situate yourself. And then he would play from from anywhere from one to to eleven notes simultaneously, mm-hmm. depending on your level. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to name them from bottom to top. Okay. Now this is an exercise that he used religiously with his students. So that the app um, it does basically that what you're describing basically it. it plays as many notes as you said it, it to actually play. has three modes it, it does it does that um, the, the the exercise I just described so that's, that's the listen mode and it also has a play mode uh, which is really fun that's where the app will play a note or up to four notes at once but let's say it plays one note and then you have to play it back on the keyboard mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. looking at it obviously you know just listening uh, and then I'll play another note, and you can set the tempo at which it does this, and mm-hmm. you play back. So it's kind of like taking dictation yeah. in real time at your instrument, right? And then the third mode is called sing, and um, in the sing mode, the app tells you to sing a note, mm-hmm. like it says, sing an A, and you go, do, and then it plays it while you're singing that note. Mm-hmm. And you can compare what you're singing to uh, to what it plays. It's pretty cool because you know, for, for for me, for example, it's it's quite easy to to sing a note if I'm asked to sing that note, but I might be like a tiny bit off intonation-wise mm-hmm. because uh, I'm not a professional singer. I haven't really worked on that. Mm-hmm. So what's really fun about this is it becomes an a, a intonation exercise for me. 
Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that, so I'm glad that's coming out. <laughs> We're talking about technology, beneficial technology. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, sleep and dreams. I mean, the whole, this whole concept is very intriguing, this idea of learning while you sleep. So, I mean, do you have a bedtime routine? Or not necessarily, you don't, that, that kind of to protect. I mean, I know we spoke about the rest of the day and technology and, and such. But in terms of concern, what you're taking in or what you're doing right before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. You know, well, what I try to do is have um, all internet off also uh, by 11 p.m. So those are kind of my two roles is I try to have four hours in the day where everything's off and uh, to have everything off by 11 p.m. Yeah. And uh, so I guess that's that's how I try to deal with that. Yeah. Do you, uh, <clears throat> in terms of like, wake, do you uh, remember your dreams? Do you, do you like spend any time? Let's say if you did resolve a musical problem, is that something, or, or let's say composing I don't know. Do you have that experience? Like you pay it's, it's, attention to dreams, or what? Uh, for me, it's it's very rarely explicit in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually really rarely remember my dreams. I'm a very deep sleeper, and I, the only time I remember them tends to be when I have to wake up early for a flight or something like that. And I do pay attention to them when I do remember them, but it, but it's rare. And in any case, it's I don't think there's ever been a time when I've explicitly resolved a question in my work mm-hmm. in my dreams. Um, I think this stuff operates at like I don't think the imagery that we see in our dreams actually correlates to the work that our brain is is doing mm-hmm. and that's also kind of been shown neurologically uh, what I just observe is that like if I practiced something one day and I've gotten into a certain tempo let's say then the next day I'll probably be able to start right at that tempo mm-hmm. and push it even a little further right so there's been a, there's been this work of integration that's happened while I sleep it's very obvious mm-hmm. you know it's it's not like it's the same level as it was the previous day. It's actually a little bit, a little more. Right. So there's been some progress. Like yeah, you notice. Yeah, that's... there's been integration. I mean, that's what happens during during sleep. You know, they they've shown it with rats where like they'll um, they'll have the rat run a maze mm-hmm. and they have some kind of like they have electrodes in their in their in their brain where they can see you know which parts of their um, of their of the spatial area of their brain uh, are lighting up as they go through different parts of the maze, mm-hmm. um, and you know the the rat will eventually find its way out of the maze, and there's some kind of reward there, right? So so the rat has understood that from a survival perspective, it's important for it to remember how to get through this maze. Mm-hmm. In the same way that like it would be important for it to remember how to get to a certain spot in nature, right? If that spot had some kind of a reward, you know, mm-hmm. and then they track. Uh, the brain activity of these rats while sleeping, and they realize that the rat is is reliving hmm. the um, the trajectory going through the maze during their sleep over and over again. Hmm. And so I'm absolutely positive that's what's happening to right. to, to us as a, as musicians, especially if you know you have kind of established to yourself, I think, um, that that this is important for your survival. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I, I definitely there was a number of other things that I would have wanted to ask you about, but obviously, I could never probably get to the bottom of what you're up to anyway, but or what you've done. So Natural Machines is coming out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you released it as in a, in a video form back in October. That's right. I released it on YouTube as a series of videos, and now it's going to come out as uh, as a audio file recording uh, on 
May seventeenth on Sunnyside Records. Okay, so as a, as a standalone record, mm -hmm. but without the, I mean, but the visuals were a major part of that. They project. are, yeah, and they'll, and they'll still be available online. Right. Yeah. So those basically just the, I mean, they're incredible <laughs> just to be able to oh, check. And, so I know, and I know you've been working on the piano algorithms for a while, but the visual stuff was new from what I've seen in it. Um, the so that's triggered instantaneously as you're playing those images are being um, formed based on what you're playing yeah that's right so this is really a central uh, aspect of this of this program of the, this uh, project natural machines that everything is real time because if it wasn't then I wouldn't be able to improvise mm -hmm. right so the, the the basis of this is that it's free improvisation constrained by algorithmic responses you know in the same way that like if you started talking to me and saying uh hey dan how you doing my response would have an effect on what you say next mm -hmm. right uh, it's just natural that's the way we are so um so in my case i'm improvising freely i can ask whatever question i want in music but the computer is answering according to certain rules that i've programmed and um, and that influences what i'm going to improvise next mm -hmm. Um, and all of that is, is in real time, and also the visualizations, which uh, you're right, you know, those, were, those I created only in the last, um, last two years, whereas I've been working on the music stuff for the last five years. Uh, those visualizations are also all in real time. Uh, whatever I'm improvising is being represented um, as, as, it's, as it's played. Uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm the, the CD release show is going to be April 16th at National Sawdust in Williamsburg. So you're, you're seeing the, you're also reacting to the visualization, so that's just happening? I am, yeah. Um, I found that, I mean, I'm a very visual person, and I've found that looking at the visualizations in real time is really inspiring because it actually will lead me to play certain things just because they look good. Mm hmm which is like a completely different way of thinking yeah. about music, you know. I mean, obviously, I always want them to sound good too, right? But, but I, there's like an intersection in the Venn diagram where it sounds good and looks mm -hmm. good that I think is really interesting. And you're looking. So each piece has its own separate set of rules. Separate. separate That's algorithms. right. Yeah, I've I've, uh, I've written a bunch of different sets of rules, and and what I've found is that when I'm operating within a certain set of rules, it just kind of leads to a certain musical identity, hmm. you know, in the same way that like when Bach writes a canon at the unison versus a canon at the third, uh, or an inverted canon, those will all give the pieces a certain identity, even though they can they they can be really different every time. Just the set of rules they're operating under makes them a certain kind of piece. Well, and and the visualizations also have their own rules. Like some I know some of them are, are circular, some of them move linear. Mm -hmm. So that that's you kind of pick those aesthetically based on the algorithm or the algorithm or, or the algorithm kind of determines how the visualization is going to happen I mean the so I wrote the visualizations completely separately from mm -hmm. the musical algorithms um, so there's there's nothing directly determining them mm -hmm. but but what I have done is in the visualizations I'm trying to um, show I'm trying to choose a way of, of representing the music that reveals the underlying algorithm. So, mm -hmm. for example, um, in episode, I think it's five, uh, the, the one called inversion. Uh, I might I might have the, the number wrong, but the the inversion episode, everything is being mirrored 
uh, around the central axis of symmetry. Mm. So that's something I want to show really obviously in the visualization. I, I really like to be obvious about mm. things, uh, obvious and clear. And so, so the way it's being represented, you can really see that whatever goes down goes up in response. And, and it's just very clear that there's this symmetry happening. Um, another one, like the, the one called uh, Constant Motion, uh, the episode three is um, very much about this kind of minimalistic, repetitive pattern. And so that's the one where I chose for the music to be represented as a kind of a circle mm -hmm. where everything keeps coming back on itself. So all the notes are being represented just as faithfully in both of them. But the fact that it's a circle, I think aesthetically um, feels very appropriate to this kind of minimal, minimalistic texture that's being created. Um, or, you know, I, then there's like even more obvious ones, like for example, episode 11, uh, fractal, tree fractal, mm -hmm. uh, the music that the piano is playing in that one is, is being generated in, re generated in real time by a, a tree fractal, which is a, a mathematical object. And so I am representing that fractal and, and particularly representing, uh, making it clear that, that the, the nodes of the tree are generating the notes in real time. You know, hopefully that's very clear when you look at it. Um, or episode two, that's where I'm playing with tuning ratios. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm showing in the visualization is actually like a 3D representation of how the tuning ratios of each harmony uh, can be seen visually. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I think these are things that you have to see to, to understand. Yeah. And, and I really <laughs> encourage people to go to, to dantepfer.com slash natural machines. Um, or you can look up uh, Dan Tepfer Natural Machines on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, I'd love for you to, to, to actually see it. And it'll make a lot more sense that way. Yeah, I'll, and I'll link to it in the podcast oh, description. And, and are, do you have a written... Um, description of let's say each one of those pieces and, and what the, the description of what the algorithm essentially does or yeah do you have that also on, on the, the website uh, yeah on, on, on each one of the, the YouTube videos there's a short description mm -hmm. of what's happening and then uh, at the end of each video there's a um, there's kind of a credit screen mm -hmm. where there's more explanation cool so that's so April 16th um, at National Sawdust. Which is a, a really wonderful venue in Williamsburg. Dan, I really appreciate your time. My <laughs> pleasure, so Israel. More like yeah. stratospheres of questions I have about the you know nature of all these things. But I guess that that's, that comes with the territory of these combining these like major worlds of technology and music and um, you know very technical, pragmatic, and spiritual. And you know, so. yeah, it's it's definitely a lot to talk about. I mean, and I really enjoy. I enjoy talking about it, so thanks for asking yeah. these great questions. So it'll have to be continued at some point yeah. in the future, I hope.
That was Dan Tepfer, triad sculpture from his new project, Natural Machines. I want to thank Dan once again for sitting down for this session, for all his music, for the knowledge that he's shared with me over the years, that he shares with us here. Take some time to check out the world of Dan Tepfer. You can go to dantepfer.com. I'll put links. There's his blog there where he has the Bach piece I spoke about earlier, but also some other really cool inquiries into music and physics. Check out his recorded music and the videos. But also come see him play live. It's a really uh, special experience, of course, next week at National Sawdust, April 16th, 2019, for someone listening in the future who has a time machine who can, knows how to use it. His music just puts me in a futuristic frame of mind. Come support us on Patreon, leave us a review on iTunes, and remember, with abundant singing and the playing of music, we bring about the true and complete redemption. See you next time.